Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now we'll have a look at the business stories making this morning's uh, newspapers and indeed uh, the weekends and week- weekday stories. Delighted to be joined by journalist and author Valerie Cox as well as Kieran Hancock, the business editor of the Irish Times. Good morning, folks. How are we all? Good morning, Bobby. Morning, Bobby. Good. Kieran, we might start with you. Um, RTE, it doesn't seem to go away. It's it's a story that seems to keep on giving uh, with no end in sight. But the front page uh, of the Irish Independent is telling us today that an RTE board member at key meeting on musical. Yeah, that's right. So everybody, I'm sure, is familiar at this stage that Toy Show, the musical, uh, turned out to be a bit of a, a fiasco and uh, hugely loss-making for RTE, a 2.3 million uh, loss-making venture, as it turned out. And uh, Fiona and Sheen, we've had this report now from... Um, uh, into the whole affair and Fiona Sheehan has been writing extensively about uh, you know the to's and fro's of, of that and particularly who did what when yeah particularly yeah. the role of the RTE board member uh, Anne O'Leary and uh, she was on this uh, audit and risk committee which you would have thought would have had a, a very key and very central role in determining whether um, this thing was going to go ahead at the time uh, and he goes into uh, you know what she has uh, put on record out there and what we know now from this uh, Grant Thornton report. And I suppose, look, at if you take it in the round, what it shows is that there was um, uh, there, there was a failure in uh, in governance at RTE. We kind of know that already. Yeah. Um, but it gives some of the granular detail uh, around the discussions that took place uh, at the time. And it, it doesn't make for pretty reading, certainly for RTE. It's interesting with all these reports that were commissioned at, at, at great cost to the taxpayer, you know, every time they report back, the whole thing just blows open again. It does, yeah. There's a little bit more uh, detail. And it looks like this is now going to be um, the subject of two Oireachtas uh, committees. The media committee have already indicated that they're going to uh, take a look at it um, probably next month. Um, but the PAC uh, will also seems to want to uh, take a look at it. I think the PAC will have to um, get its remit extended uh, because RTE isn't normally under the remit of the yeah. uh, PAC, but I think they're going to look for that and they're going to um, seek to have some hearings as well. So we're going to be hearing more on this. Uh, Valerie, I'd, I'd have to say, you know, uh, Miriam Lord is always, uh, <laughs> she always has a great take on things and she's managed to poke a bit of fun uh, at RTE. She talks about an RTE blockbuster Upstages Dabo, yeah. the musicals, which is the referring to the retirement uh, of Brian Dobson earlier in the week. Yeah, it's very funny, actually, and it's very Miriam Lord. She says, due to unforeseen circumstances, we must regretfully announce the immediate closure of our blockbuster theatrical debacle, Dabo, the musical. We took this difficult decision when someone with an ounce of common sense turned up unexpectedly at a planning meeting and introduced us to the concept of reality. We are shaken to the core. So all the elements of Toy Story, the musical, have been brought into this. And uh, it is very funny, actually. (laughs) Yeah, she also says uh, about a child asking uh, father about, Daddy, why is the six one man with the red braces not on the news anymore. Uh, <laughs> poor old Brian, giving him a hard time. Yeah, he's going to be missed. A uh, very polished uh, yeah. presenter. He's definitely and they're a long the time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And just uh, to, to say to people, if uh, 
well, I, I would suggest there's a very funny piece uh, by Miriam just under that, actually, uh, in the Irish Times today about uh, a very strange post that Sean Kelly, the MEP, uh, put on his Instagram account where he's uh, seen walking, uh, he's seen on an escalator in the uh, European Parliament building um, to the backtrack of uh, Pretty Woman by uh, Roy Orbison. I, I would just suggest people have a read of it. It's very, very funny. Okay, to matters more mundane, the front page of your own paper, uh, Kieran Donoghue, uh, welcoming a fair and affordable 3.6 pay deal. This is uh, like this is an interesting story, in and it's it seems to be good news for everybody uh, that um, you know a, a, a deal looks to be certainly has been proposed. It hasn't been accepted yet, but. Maybe just run us through it, Kieran, if you would. Um, yeah, so these pay talks have been on for a little while. They broke down there uh, recently. There was a, a late night meeting, great drama, and they broke down. Um, in, in rough terms, the government was was offering about 8% and the unions were seeking about uh, 12%. They seem to have uh, arrived at a deal of 10.25% uh, over two and a half years. That'll add about, uh, according to Pascal Donoghue, about 3.6 billion euro in costs uh, to the Exchequer over the course of uh, four budgets. He's described it as uh, fair and affordable. Um, as you say, it's yet to be balloted on by the public sector uh, workers, but uh, I'm, I'm sure it will get across the line. And uh, that 10.25% is kind of the, the headline figure, if you like. Uh, some of the lower paid um, workers within the public service will actually get more. And even for those who are getting um, those over 50 grand uh, who are getting the 10.25%, there are increments paid in the public yeah. every year. So they're actually going to get more than that in reality um, over that period. But what's striking about it, I suppose, is that um, it's it's likely to be ahead of what's going to be offered in the private sector. If you look at Aer Lingus Pilots, for example, they've been offered 8.5% over three years, um, which they're not happy with. Uh, so you can see I'd how it's a good I'd suggest, deal for the though, I'd suggest though, that this proposal, uh, as you say, it hasn't been accepted yet. That would probably help the pilots uh, in terms of... Oh, no uh, doubt. Because no, it brings it... No doubt. Yeah, it will help their case now that this has been... And there's another interesting point in it that there's two percentage points, uh, uh, or two to 3% that can be bargained locally. Hmm. Now, historically... Mm-hmm. You know, some places have just put up their hands and paid those. You know, so so in effect, it could be a a thirteen and a half percent in that scenario. But your the, the you're, question is is Bobby they're getting the ten point two five percent. Gabriel McClough, the governor of the central bank, um, he said he he reckoned it was striking the right balance between catching up in terms of inflation without exacerbating uh, the inflation yeah. problem. And I think but he might be right. The question that people might ask is. Uh, are we going to get better public services as a result mm. of this? Yeah, the bit I don't get is why do we always have to have these last minute late night meetings where people <laughs> well, sit up don't. half the night drinking coffee? Because it's quite ridiculous. I mean, they're not at their best at that stage and they're going to make the wrong decisions yeah. or they might just get fed up and give in to the other side. So, I mean, that is not a good business model to be working on anyway. I agree so with I you, Valerie. They should all take another look at themselves. But you know what? That's I don't, you know, you get this sort of bravado with big corporate deals happening as well where solicitors have to spend all night signing papers and that. And it's, it's almost like this, you know, I stayed up all night, so... So you know, what? <laughs> so, you, you, you know, it's, I agree with you. Yeah. It, it seems... It's, it, it, it's it, stage it, management. It's unnecessary. Yeah, it's absolutely. absolutely unnecessary. I mean, the, the Cabinet are always doing it as well, you know. Yeah. But um, I thought there's a very good piece there, actually, from Emmett Malone, an explainer, 
as to what exactly this uh, payment would mean and the staff will get seven separate increases over 30 months and various other, you know, the timeline is there which is very good um, but the uh, there's also um, an editorial comment on it uh, which says public sector employees should grab the new pay offer from the government with both hands. Yeah, and that, that editorial goes on to say uh, uh, that that basically public sector employees are unlikely to get wider support if they decide to reject the deal. So I think everything is pointing to this Dundee. being accepted. Uh, so, no, I, and I, it does bring stability. Um, yeah. We do have the cash to pay it. So well, I, we have it at the moment, yeah, because of the corporate tax yeah. uh, revenues. But we can't, you know, we can't always take that for granted. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, just uh, it doesn't. Does, I, I don't know. Does this matter? But the fact that the recession is actually confirmed after Ireland's GDP shrank in 2023, Valerie, um, they use this uh, term uh, gross domestic product. But you know, as we know, you know, it's it's a it was a kind of a weird scenario last year. When you've got full employment, you've got inflation, cost of living, uh, crisis, so everybody's putting prices up. It certainly, in certain quarters, it didn't feel like a, refe- a recession. No, it didn't. But um, they're quoting Rachel O'Carroll. She's a senior statistician in the CSO. And uh, she says it was the, the GDP dip was driven by decreases in the multinational uh, sectors of industry. Yeah. And for example, it says the results were down largely to a dip in the pharmaceutical and tech sectors where exports have been falling uh, throughout the last year. And also she's talking about things we wouldn't think of, like um, overseas sales of COVID-related medicines, that's to the US, yeah. and computer chip sales to China. I mean, who'd have thought that they would have shrunk the GDP so badly? Well, it's, it comes back to the, to our over-dependence, oh, our totally. reliance. Yeah. And on, on some very on a very few big players, yeah, but we're not alone in this because <clears throat> um, certainly uh, Germany is having the same uh, effect of the sa- same recession for 2023. We're not unique in Europe, but there is good news as well because the European Central Bank could view that along with slowing price hikes as a sign that its interest rate policy is working, that is, it is a sign that its interest rate policy is working and markets now pricing in cuts from April, although that is more likely to materialise around the summertime. Yeah, it's interesting as well, Kieran, that modified domestic demand, which is a mm. basically a, a better measurement in my view, because uh, it strips out patents and aircraft leasing, from the GTB data, which again are two huge contributors. That grew by 2.5% uh, year on year in November last year. So, yeah, as you say, the, you, you know, you get the sense walking around the streets and looking at, at, at activity in shops and uh, pubs and restaurants and so forth that things are quite uh, still quite buzzy. Um, and uh, that's borne out uh, by the mo- modified domestic demand figures. Um, it were worth bearing in mind, I mean, the multinational effect in Ireland is huge when it comes to GDP, and that's why the CSO has come up with a, a revised measure to try, and, um, to try and measure activity in the Irish economy. Uh, you might recall a few years ago that Paul Krugman was accusing us of leprechaun economics, where yeah. GDP was 20% uh, plus, and now it's, now it's gone to the other side. Yeah, yeah no. Um, vacant homes, uh, just one in 50, Valerie. Uh, uh, actually paid out. Um, This is the uh, figures vary from county to county on refurbishment scheme intended to bring properties back into usage, derelict properties, 
back into usage. Can you give us your views on this? Well, it's quite an impossible situation, really, because it seemed like a great idea. If you get a derelict house and do it up, you'll get 70,000 towards it. So, you know, your crumbling roof or whatever. And if you take on a vacant house and redo it, you get 50,000. But what they're saying here is it is almost impossible to have these grants paid and to do the work in the time frame, which is only 13 months. Yeah. And it's a very comprehensive article, a very good article, which talks about the numbers in certain uh, counties. Now, for example, Tipperary, 345 applications, 219 approvals and nil drawdowns yeah. because people can't get the work in time or can't get the grants. Uh, or, and am I right in assuming that if, if those drawdowns go outside the 13 months, they won't be paid? They won't be paid. That's the problem. Yeah. So there's a, a very interesting piece here as well from Andrew Hamilton. And he's um, quoting people, quoting um, uh, James McCormack. He's the founder of the Derelict and Vacant House Restoration Group on Facebook. And he is saying, do not buy derelict houses because you won't get your money back, but buy vacant houses where you will get the 50,000. But he's pointing out that only people who are in a very strong financial position can do this yeah, because, because you've got to just do the work produce all your receipts then it has to go through a council engineer who may or may not decide that you're worthy and it's only then that you get the money. So we're talking about a bridging fund here a bridging gap that's bigger than any bank is going to give you yeah. because banks will only give it on the saleable value of your property when yeah. it's finished. Yeah, it, it's it's good analysis of, of of when you look at something like this, which it's it's typical of some of these schemes. It looks great when you read it first, but then when you get into the minute of it, yeah. you see that it's it's really yeah. and cumbersome and bureaucratic and absolutely. And one of the uh, big areas of consternation has been people trying to revive derelict farms. You know, where there's a cottage on a farm and they want to restore it, probably their grandparents or whatever yeah. it is. And they're not getting planning permission because they're, in many cases, they're saying that the cottage is trapped within a farm. So it's not a standalone thing. So that makes it very difficult. Um, now, we're told as well, Giron, that uh, Dermot Bannon got a private briefing uh, from, from the housing minister on the scheme. Um, and there's another related piece uh, in the next page, basically, mm. that says that the homeowners on Room to Improve saw the value rocket fivefold when they sold up and there's, I think, five examples. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Dermot Bannon certainly seems to have the Midas touch when well, it comes to property valuations. I think there's a couple of factors at play. I'm sure having your home featured on Room to Improve and the fact that Dermot Bannon was involved in whatever uh, work took place uh, is is helpful in, yeah. in terms of selling. But it should also be borne in mind that some of the uh, properties that are uh, mentioned here, you know, they were originally purchased 2011, in one case 2013, uh, in two cases, uh, sorry, in one case, and then uh, 2013 is when Room to Improve came in. in another so case. it's over a decade in most It's cases. over a decade, yeah. yeah. And we should remember between 2008 and 2013, the Irish property market collapsed. Correct. And property values uh, collapsed. I, and uh, this was brought home to me a couple of years ago when I bought a house and I realised <laughs> that the house directly across the road from me 
was purchased in 2011 for half the price I was paying. Yeah. So Irish property values have uh, have soared. So some of it is down to that. And uh, as I say, having your home feature and room to improve obviously uh, helps and having Dermot yeah. Bannon involved too. But why, I wonder, helps. have so many people who featured on Room to Improve sold their homes? I mean, this is meant to be their perfect home, perfect architect. Dermot Bannon gives you your atrium or your, you know, your loo with a view or whatever you really, really want, your dream house. And if you think turn, about it, Valerie. They turn you, around and flog them. I know, but if you think about it, you, you're thinking of selling your house. Why don't we get Dermot Bannon in? That could be it Tell the yeah. nation. Uh, <laughs> Tart it up a bit. Oh, well, listen, there can be all sorts um, of reasons. Free advertising. One, one, one of the examples given is Catherine Zappone, and we know that her wife uh, died um, subsequently. You know, so, yeah. so there can be all sorts of reasons uh, for selling up. All right. Uh, um, on Back to the boardroom, uh, Kieran. Uh, the IRS board looks isolated as support uh, for change bills. This is a an interesting kind of a boardroom drama with lots of pension funds and various players. Uh, but yeah. essentially, what I can make from it is that there's one group of investors that want the business sold and a ru- and re- removal of the board members, and others want to, to uh, stay going. But it looks like it's going a particular way. Well, IRES is a, a listed company in the Irish stock market. It's a, a, a property uh, investment company. It's got over 3,700 uh, apartments and homes on its books. So it's the biggest private landlord in the market. Uh, they're mostly in Dublin. And it's been, you know, it, it, it bought, again, going back to 2011, um, this is a company that bought a lot of its uh, properties at, at knockdown prices, um, sort of post the 2008 crash and has done very well. So on the outside looking in, you might think, well, why, why is this uh, row taking place? But it has a shareholder called Vision Capital uh, that is unhappy at the fact that the share price hasn't been performing very well and at the fact that uh, the sort of the value that's within the business, it, it feels there's a greater value within the business than has been realised by the company at the moment. Yeah. So it's called for a number of changes. It's called for the board uh, essentially to be replaced. Um, and it has also called for, uh, for a break, well, for an event to take place. So that could involve uh, a breakup of the company, the um, the the assets being sold piecemeal. It could involve um, the, the thing being sold lock, stock and barrel. But essentially, it wants uh, an event that will realise... Uh, so will we see this at the CGM that's happening on February 16th? Yeah, so as you can imagine, the, the company is against this proposal and it is called an EGM and it's going to put its point of view. It's saying that the analysis by Vision is uh, is flawed that they're not going to be able to find a buyer that will realise the full value of uh, the assets that it holds. Um, Vision has managed to get on board one of the biggest shareholders in the company called CapRead. It's a Canadian fund. They own nearly 20%. And uh, so Vision seems to be in a strong position at the moment, not least because IRES, the chair, has uh, recently stepped down and been replaced. And the chief executive has indicated um, that she's going to leave in the coming months. But the company has said it will do its own strategic review and that it's best for shareholders basically to follow that process rather than listen, okay. you know, listening to the dissident shareholder. Well, we'll watch this space and see what happens uh, with IRES on, uh, after the EGM on February 16th. Valerie, farmers' unbuttoned complaints delayed Intel expansions, say the judge. Uh, this is from the Irish Times today. Uh, talks mm-hmm. of killer robots and US military intelligence all... Beside a farm there out in uh, out in Leakslip. Leakslip. Yeah, this is a farmer called Thomas Reed who has a 74-acre farm uh, down beside the Intel, Intel uh, manufacturing plant in Leakslip. Now, 
He has made um, a number of complaints against planning permission in the area. And in fact, the judge, Judge Richard Humphreys, has ruled in the High Court that um, his complaints made a mockery of the procedures for evaluating planning and led to delay in final permission uh, between 20 and now. So three years we're talking about. Now, he dismissed his latest objection. And the kind of stuff that's in the objection, it's very, very strange. The judge said most of this material deals with matters not obviously relevant to planning and they included an article, a printout of an article saying Amazon, Microsoft and Intel may be putting the world at risk through killer robot developments. My God. And then another one uh, saying the claims in his appeal, in his appeal included one um, that his request for oral hearings to onboard Planola had been blocked by the US military intelligence agency. Now, I don't think they'd be that interested in the 74-acre farm down in Leakslip. I think you'd be right. Uh, Kieran, uh, ditch the black outfits. Let colours light up your light. Light up your life, even. Uh, you've got a Johnny Cash look this morning. You're all in black. <laughs> or maybe it's a Steve Jobs look. But it, it's, it's, um, uh, it's Navy. Mary it's McCarthy Navy. is telling us that we should ditch black and wear colourful clothes. Yeah, apparently what this say is, you? Apparently this has become a bit of a, a trend at uh, funerals. And I was talking to Valerie beforehand and saying that um, I happened to come across a, a funeral recently. It was a small service, only about 30 people, I'd say. Um, but apparently, I was told this, that um, the, the person who died insisted he was a, a, a Liverpool fan and he insisted that everybody wear a splash of red um, to his uh, funeral. So everybody was coming out of the service wearing a, 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 a Liverpool baseball cap or a, a scarf or uh, some such. And it was, uh, it was quite nice. It was quite interesting to see. So why not? What, what say you, Valerie? Well, I think it's a load of rubbish. Um, <laughs> it says here that uh, people look friendlier. Red, orange and yellow are often respectively associated with sexiness, power and attractiveness and joy and happiness. Well, now, if you're running around Dublin or Ireland in the middle of winter wearing a Hawaiian shirt or orange trousers or whatever, I don't think that's going to do anything for your self-esteem or your morale or your reputation. So, no, wear black if you want to. It'll probably suit you very well. Well, on that note, I'll uh, I'll take off my Hawaiian shirt and say sorry to Valerie Cox. Thank you for a great review of the papers, Valerie Cox, and indeed Kieran Hancock. Down to business with Bobby Kerr, brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at eleven on News Talk.